We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, as you'll recall, we spoke on bitterness. About getting honest about the feelings that we carry inside of us. And uh, if you had, did not have a chance to hear that, it might be good to get some of that foundation. It will save you time in understanding and me having to communicate again uh, what we talked about last week. You can get that on the internet. You can download that or pick up a CD one way or the other. But basically, I mentioned how most of us don't take the time that we need in order to be introspective. And uh, I told you last week that I believe 2007 needs to be the year that you just goal. If there's no other goal that you achieve this coming year, you need to achieve the goal of getting whole, getting free, uh, getting personally where God would want you to be. Uh, For most people, true emotional wholeness or true psychological wholeness, for lack of a better term, is only about two feet away. I'll say that again. Your wholeness, your completeness, your healing is probably only two feet away from here to here. That's as far as it is. But it can be the greatest two feet that human beings have to leap. You know that there are certain truths that the Bible teaches about what it means to be whole, to be complete, and to be free... We know that the word says certain things, but we struggle getting those truths from here to here. We struggle taking what we know to be the precept of the word and getting it in here so that our feelings feel different. And and we need to learn how we can begin to do that. And as you'll recall, this happened now several weeks ago, but this whole can got open because I got in a fight with my wife. Is there anyone here that's ever been in a fight with their spouse? Am I the only one? Please help me again. All right, you've been in a fight or two. I'm watching everybody going. (laughs) It's all right. Everybody gets in a fuss from time to time. But the question is, why? Why is it? Why is it that there are certain things that kind of trip our switch? Why is it that there are certain emotions that flash and And we know better, we don't want it to happen, we we, we know that it ought not be that way, and yet it happens. And you know, when you begin to walk with the Lord and you begin to function in church life or in Christianity in general, this is what begins to happen. We get more refined and clever at how that manifests. Now, it's not that the issue is resolved, it's just that we become more clever in how it comes out. We become a lot more... Adept. We can do this with finesse. Sometimes we, we don't just blow up. You know, we're just not Mount Saint Dad or Mount Saint Mom. Sometimes, sometimes it's just it's just the aftershock, you know, it's the it's just the tremor. And all of these things at times when they happen are linked to wounds, they're linked to hurts, they're linked to offenses, and that linkage can only be resolved when we understand the place of forgiveness. It's interesting how things, we mentioned this, will replay in our minds scenarios that we've gone through in life, situations that we come out of, that somehow or another we think were not right, they were unjust, they were not fair, and we begin to replay those issues in our mind. And as soon as the replay begins to happen, it begins to stir the feelings that accompany that particular situation. 
And so the question is, why is it hard to really forgive? Why is that? Why, why is it that it seems like when it comes to letting things go and forgiving, even though we know what the Bible says, why is it so hard? Let me give you the answer. This is the answer. We are afraid that they will get away with what they've done. That, that's really the bottom line. No one will ever know the injustice. Nobody will ever know the unfairness. They won't be found out. We must protect the world from their errors. They must be punished. They must be taught a lesson. And all of these things work inside of us and we begin to live lives of bitterness and dysfunctionality in all our other relationships when in fact it was this one instance that's causing the rest of life to be dysfunctional. And yet the Lord says that we can have a peace that the world doesn't even understand. And yet it seems so elusive. I was reading this week and I came across the story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you will know the name, Corey Ten Boom. She was a woman that actually helped Jews escape the atrocities of Nazi Germany during World War II. She was actually found out and discovered and she too was put into a concentration camp and there she viewed the atrocities and the brutality and the injustice of the Nazi regime and it was long after that had ended and she was speaking in a German city at a church and as she looked out through the door and peered at the congregation that was gathered there, she said she saw one of the German guards that was at the concentration camp she was at. This particular German guard was particularly brutal, especially towards children and someone she knew quite well. And when she saw the guard in the congregation, the, the feelings and thoughts began to stir inside of her. And she thought, oh God, how can I, how can I minister to, uh, to that congregation when that person is sitting out there? And so she decided that morning she was going to speak on forgiveness. And she stood up and spoke on forgiveness and asked God for help as she communicated that. And when the service ended and many were touched, the guard came forward to speak to her. And as she writes in her book, she says, he glibly came up to me and said, well, is it not good that God forgives us all? There was no remorse, no I'm sorry, no nothing. You know, sometimes it's hard to forgive when our offenders do not feel the slightest twinge of remorse. It's hard to forgive when those that we perceive have offended us don't seem to have a conscience about it. It's always easier to forgive if our offenders come to us in sackcloth and ashes. If they come to us on their knees, grabbing our ankles, pleading with us, to forgive them, to forgive them. Oh, please forgive me, I was wrong. How much easier it would be to forgive if they would just acknowledge what they had done. And yet, as you will recall, it was Jesus who, when he was on the cross, the greatest unfairness and injustice ever perpetrated against a human being, he was the one that, as he was there, said these words, and I want you to catch the scenario. He said, Father... Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He didn't from the cross, this is interesting, he didn't look at them and say, I forgive you. He didn't say that. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know 
what they're doing. And the interesting thing as I read the story is this. None of the people around the cross seemed all that disturbed about what they were doing. They had no conscience about what was going on. There was no twinge of remorse that was taking place in any of them. And yet the Lord had the capacity to say, Father, forgive them. And we are told in the Bible that we are to forgive people in exactly the same way. Now that ought to make you pause for just a minute. That, that, that just starts to blow my mind. Now I'm going to read this real quick. Matthew 6, I've already read this, I read it last week. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says this. That if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. Ephesians 4, 29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you i read those last week but now let's just throw wood into the fire and read colossians 3 13 listen to this colossians 3 13 it says bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another even as christ forgave you you so you also must do. Must do. Now I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness. I've got a lot, a lot of stuff I need to throw out here. So I'm going to do this swiftly, quickly. You really do need to get a pen and a piece of paper out. I, I, I'm going to tell you this and I don't do this. A lot of times I just, I, I, you know, I feel like what I have to share might be good. But today I'm telling you, I'm giving some of you a key that will unlock a wholeness and a freedom. It may well unlock your destiny if you'll get a hold of this. I mean, if you'll, if, don't blow me off like, well, I've, I came to church, I heard a sermon. And, you know, then you go about your merry way. I'm telling you, you need to get this. Because if you don't get it today, you'll have to face it someday. So let me talk about the ultimate proof of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I have forgiven people whom I believed have wronged me on more occasions than I can count. Is that not true? Are you, are you the same way? Have you been wronged or offended and you've gone before God or however it is you've done it and, and, and you've tried and done your best to forgive them? I'm quite sure within the context of our congregation, we could all look at each other and probably every name has been lifted somehow up to the Lord in order that we might forgive. We do that. And it reads in Colossians that I must do that. I must forgive. You must forgive. But the problem is, it keeps coming back up. It keeps springing right back up. And that's frustrating, because the Bible also says that God is going to deal with me in the same measure as to how I deal with others. 
And I've come to the conclusion that after serving the Lord for some 29 years now, I'm not sure until recently I've totally gotten a hold of, and I may not have it all yet, but I finally feel like I may have gotten a hold of what it means to forgive, what the full ramification, the total expectation of what it means to forgive. You say 29 years and you don't get it? I've gotten this a long time ago. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Because I'm here to tell you, I believe that the enemy has done a very, very good job in veiling faces and eyes and hearts. Let me give you what I've called levels of forgiveness. You know, not all forgiveness is the same. And I think this is where the enemy gets us. I think there are certain levels, they may even be steps for all I know, as to how we forgive people. And and I think sometimes we enter into one of these levels or steps and, and then we are fooled into thinking that somehow we've actually done everything that we've needed to do. So I want to share with you what I've come to understand as these steps or these levels of how we go about uh, forgiving and, and releasing forgiveness to other people. The first level is what we'll call the detached level. The detached level is when you simply have a reduction of negative feelings. You'll say this, well, you know, I'm trying to get over it. I know I ought not feel this way. I'm trying to get over it. But fact of the matter is, is that if you were to run into this person, or if you were to see this person on the street, probably the best you could give them is a strained smile. Because there's still something inside of you that's not quite there. You're trying to get over it. The the feelings that you originally have have been reduced. But you, you might run into them in a mall or somewhere on the street or interact with them. And all of a sudden, that emotional intensity will begin to creep back up into your life. That first level is what we'll call detached. When you aren't around them, it gets better. But if you have to face them, it can can return. The second level is what we'll call limited. Limited forgiveness. Limited forgiveness is that there has been a greater reduction now of those negative feelings, but they're still not totally gone. You enjoy reminding them or maybe reminding others of the offense that was committed. When you reach this level, what happens is is that, again, you're not as passionate as you may have been earlier, but it's still replaying in your soul. And as it replays, it can stir you. But, of course, this is where the clever comes in. This is where the refinement comes in. You know enough that, that it really ought not be there. You know enough that it can't come out maybe like it used to come out, but now you've just become refined in how it comes out. You know, the story will come to you and you'll find an opportunity to to use it as a great illustration every third day in the life of someone else. Limited forgiveness. Then number three, the third level is what we'll call mental ascent. Mental ascent is when the emotional intensity is gone. There's really not that thing that may stir you anymore. And you've released them from the injustice of the offense. However, there is this residual bitterness of the event that still exists. Now, let me give you an example. Now, well, I'm just going to go ahead and use it. Let's just say, let's just say in in the scope of relationship that, that there's been an unfaithful spouse. You've been burned. You've been betrayed. Your spouse has met another person and they've run off with them. And, and, and you are the innocent victim. You're the innocent person. 
and you feel betrayed. You feel injustice and unfairness. This wasn't right. And uh, you go through this whole process. You go through the process of detached and limited. And you finally reach the place where you can release them from the offense that has been committed. You, you can really do that. But there's this residual bitterness. And the way this residual bitterness comes forth is that you've reached a place where you begin to say this. I'm never going to be fooled again. Nobody's going to treat me like that again. So if you're a woman, you would say this. I won't trust any man ever again. Or if you're a man, you might say, ain't no woman going to put one over on me like that again. Now, it may never be articulated, but it's still running around in your mind. And so whatever the next relationship may be, what happens is you enter into that relationship. Yes, having forgiven you could sit in a counseling session and say, yes, it's gone, I'm over it, I feel like it's gone. But you can, you can go into that next relationship and all of those things are still stirring there. And that person that you are now with will be the person that receives all the residual effect of what took place earlier in your life. Are you with me? I hope you are because I'm going to tell you something like this. This happens in the body of Christ all the time. It happens with pastors and it happens with people. I've heard it on both sides of the fence. It's happened to me too. It's happened to many of you. Someone will be in a local church and you'll have what's called a bad church experience. I've heard this so many times. Someone will come to me and they'll go, well, you know, I had a, I had a bad church experience. I want to go, well, you know, if you spent more than, you know, a week in church life, you'll have a bad church experience. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, everybody's got a bad church experience. But the problem is, it's not so much that we all don't know that because we're hanging around people. Our problem is, is that when it's our bad church experience, it's different. See, we understand other people and we'll go, oh, you ought to get over it. It happens. People are people. But when it's your church experience, oh, that's a different story because it's it's mine. And when it's mine, it's real personal. And so here's what happens. We, We forgive. We get over it. Pastors forgive congregants. Congregations forgive pastors. We forgive other pastors. The sheep forgive each other. I mean, we're going every which direction it could go. Everybody forgives everyone, but this is what happens. The same thing in the earlier scenario that I gave you happens to us too. It happens to someone like me. You get burned and instantly you say to yourself, well, you know, I'll forgive and I'll let go, but ain't nobody going to do that to me again. Nobody. It happens to you too. You say you, you, had, you had poor authority or you had a bad boss or you had any one of a number of experiences and you forgive and you let go, but instantly you'll say, but nobody, nobody's going to do that to me again. And you'll go into the next church, the next relationship, the next job, the next career, and your whole life will be designed in your mind saying, I've forgiven, my past is done. But you're walking it out in such a way that the residual bitterness is causing you to be dysfunctional in the place that God put you for that moment. Are you with me? I hope you're hearing me, because I'm telling you, it happens in every arena of life. It happens all the time. So we have to get to level four. And level four is what we will call total and complete forgiveness. Now, hear me, I think most people vacillate between two and three i believe that there are very few people that get to number four and there are reasons for that i'm going to share them with you but when you get to number four total and complete forgiveness what happens is is that you begin to have the same feelings in your heart toward the offender 
as the Lord has towards you. I'll say that again. You begin to have in your heart the same feelings toward the offender as the Lord has in his heart towards you. That is total and complete forgiveness. Now, if you go to Encounter Weekend, we spend some time talking about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this parable, but you can read it yourself in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to tell you the story. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter runs up to Jesus, and he's going to ask about this area of forgiveness. It's in Matthew 18, 21, and he thinks he's doing a great thing, and he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven? And Jesus says, no, I tell you the truth, 70 times seven. And that's the Hebrew idiom, which means perpetually. You have to perpetually keep on forgiving. And then he tells this interesting parable about a guy who has this incredible debt. I don't even know. It's millions of dollars of debt. And, and, and he's going to be thrown into the debtor's prison. But the king or the master says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to absolve your debt. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you be free. So he gets absolved from millions of dollars worth of debt. And then he goes out and he finds a dude that owes him a 20. And when he finds the dude that owes him the 20, he grabs him and he says, I want my 20. And the guy goes, I can't pay you the 20. And so what happened is, is he throws him into the debtor's prison for 20 bucks. And all of a sudden, the king or the master hears of what took place, drags him back in and says, how could you do this? How could you not forgive a man 20 bucks when I've just forgiven you millions of dollars? How could you even begin to do that? And he says, because of that, I'm throwing you into prison. I'm releasing the tormentors in your life. I'm going to let you enjoy what I had originally absolved you from. And, and the whole passage has to deal with how we're expected to forgive in the same measure that we have been forgiven. But the Lord showed me something that I've read this parable more times than I can count through the encounter process. But there was something here that just leapt out to me. I believe God was quickening it to me to help me understand some things in my life. Uh, Matthew 18 and 35, it says this. It says... So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you, says Father also will do to you, if each of you, and this is what I parentheses and underlined, from his heart. Didn't say from his mind, did it? From his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. His heart. His heart. Everyone say, my heart. I'm not talking about your mind. I'm talking about your heart right now. I understand you know, you perhaps heard this stuff. You've got the doctrine. You've got understanding. But I'm not talking about your mind. I'm talking about your heart. And, and this is what I believe is the key to that fourth level, is your heart. Your heart. You see, the Lord's beginning to show, at least to me, that for my own life, and I know for many of your lives, that you can play around with stages two and three. And for the most part, we can absolve ourselves from any uh, additional expectation 
We absolve ourselves from anything that we feel like we have to go on and do because we, we can jump around on level two and three and basically make a, make a case, justify ourselves and say, well, I don't feel like I used to feel. I, 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 I'm not saying what I used to say. I'm not doing what I used to do. I, in my mind, I've done everything I've been asked to do. But here's the question. The question is, why is it that we're still angry? Why is it that we're still bitter? Why is it that we're still jealous? We gossip. There's envy. There's torment. When we do all the things we're supposed to do, and I just want to suggest to you, it's because we don't get how to get it to the heart. We get it in the head, but it's two feet that it's got to get to. Now, how do we get it in our heart? How do I do this? Pastor, tell me, how do I forgive my betrayer? How do I forgive a cheating spouse? How do I forgive my parents? How do I forgive a, a child? How do I forgive a, a bad church experience? How do I forgive? How do I forgive a bad boss? How do I, how do I forgive all these offenders in my life? How do, we, how do we get that in our heart? Well, I think before I can go down the list as to how you get it, and I've got to move quick now, so get ready to write, I've got to tell you quickly what forgiveness is not, because this is where the enemy gets us messed up. We have designed our own idea of what forgiveness is. And until we knock out what it's not, I don't know that we can fully understand what it really is. So, th so I'm telling you, first off, th this is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not, number one, approving of what happened to you. How many of you know God forgives you, but he does not approve of your sin? Isn't that true? God doesn't approve your sin. This is where people have a, the forgiveness stuff messed up. We got people out there that will run around saying, well, God forgives, God forgives, and they keep sinning. But you need to understand, God's not endorsing or, for, or, or, or approving of sin. He forgives, he forgives you, but he's not approving necessarily of what happened. So it is. When you forgive someone, you're not approving of what they did. What they did may have been just outright wrong. Number two, forgiveness is not excusing what happened to you. In other words, God, God doesn't explain away behavior, does he? He expects repentance, he expects honesty, he expects you to step up. And so there's not this endorsement. Again, it's not an excusing of what happened to you. I've watched people do this all the time, particularly in family relationships, whether it be with parents or spouses or children, but they'll excuse the offender. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not excusing them. Number three, it's not justifying what happened to you. There are actually people who believed that they got what they deserved. And so they justify it. Well, I, I guess I got what I deserved. And No, God never says that evil is right. Wrong is wrong. And if you forgive somebody, it does not somehow justify what happened to you. Number four, removing the consequences of what happened. This is, the, this is one of the most important things you need to understand. Let me give you a, a, an egregious case. Let's say we're talking about rape or murder or somebody perpetrated an evil on you or in your household that's of such proportion that it's just, it boggles the mind. God says you must forgive them, but listen to me, that doesn't mean that they don't have to go to jail. Are you with me? In fact, God forgives us of our sin, but he doesn't always take away the consequences of that sin. In other words, you can, you can you know, be promiscuous, you could have premarital sex or extramarital sex, and you can ask God for forgiveness, and will he forgive you? The answer is yes, but that doesn't mean a baby might not get created. Are you with me? 
I mean, he'll forgive you of, of drug usage and, and all sorts of other sins and areas. And, and praise God, but that doesn't necessarily mean you haven't fried your brain and you're going to live with a handicap. That d- doesn't always mean that. So it's not removing the consequences all the time of what happened. Number five, it's not denying what happened to you. There's some people that just say, well, I just won't, I'll forgive them and I'll just, I'll just pretend like it never happened. They'll deny it. Number six, forgetting that the event took place. Now, when I was making the list, I started to think about this. And, you know, I know the Bible says that when God forgives, he forgets. And I started asking myself the question, well, Lord, I know you've got to be somewhat like us because we were created in your image. And surely, since you know the end from the beginning, and you, I mean, you know the, you know the event took place. It's not like you don't know that the event hadn't taken place. But this is what I've come to the conclusion. God chooses not to remember so as to not hold it against us. That's a very important phrase. God chooses not to remember so as not to hold it against us. Sometimes we won't forgive or, don't, or think that forgiveness means that I've just got to somehow blot it out. No, what that means is, is that you choose to not remember so you no longer hold it against the person. You'll... If you had a trauma happened in your life, can I just release you from some guilt or burden? You're probably going to remember that to some, some extent. I remember some traumas in my life. The good news is that there are some traumas that have been completely forgiven to where I may remember the event, but there's no power to the event anymore. So you need to understand that. Number seven, pretending that we're not hurt. Pretending it's ridiculous to think that we can always keep a stiff upper lip. If you've been hurt, you've been hurt. If you've been wounded, you've been wounded. Pretending doesn't mean that's forgiveness. Disappointment is natural. It's an aspect of of being a human being. And forgiveness is not pretending that we're not hurt. And then finally, number eight, forgiveness is not trusting the offender immediately. You know, when you break trust, it takes time to repair it. Just because you've received forgiveness doesn't mean you get your trust back instantly. I think it's that way with the Lord, too. I believe God will forgive you instantly. I'll just give you an example. Let's say you are a pastor or somebody that has influence or some level of leadership. And and you have some form of failure that takes place. Will God forgive? For instance, will God forgive Ted Haggard? Yes, he will. Will he forgive Jimmy Swaggart? Yes, he will. Will he forgive Jim Baker? Yes, he will. Isn't that good news? Because he'll forgive you too. But here's the, here's the key. The key is that you don't instantly get back everything you lost overnight. If you betray trust, it takes time to be able to earn trust back. Some hurt forever changes a relationship. And that's why even Jesus gave a caveat in the area of marriage. And he said, there are some betrayals that are so great, he said, that I understand that it is beyond really the human capacity to put that back together again. Not to mention that there are always going to be two people involved in that. So we need to understand that forgiveness is not instantly trusting the offender immediately. So the question comes, what is forgiveness? How does forgiveness get from here to here? How do I begin to get it in my heart? Well, let me, let me just share with you very quickly the story of Joseph. Those of you that were here several weeks ago at Recalibrate will recall, I believe it was 
on that Thursday night when Pastor Frank was speaking, he began to speak on the account of Joseph. And I remember as he was speaking about Joseph and I was sitting down there and I was listening very carefully. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I'll just confess, there's sometimes you listen and, and God will speak to you and you're off on your own little tangent writing some things down here. But there are sometimes that God's using some things, talking very specifically, and I was listening very, very carefully because God was talking to me about Joseph. And uh, you'll recall the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go through the whole story. You know the story. He grew up, the youngest, in uh, Jacob's uh, household. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he gets a dream. He gets a vision. And he shares it with his brothers. He does this on a couple different occasions. His brothers, you know, uh, get jealous. There are all sorts of things that go on. And they begin to initiate or they release this activity that takes place in Joseph's life that leads him through decades of experiencing offenses and wounds and hurts. At least it would in my life. Now, I just want to go down through here as we talk about Joseph and, and just share with you what Joseph had to be bitter about. Let's talk about this for just a second so we can get a full understanding of what Joseph had to be bitter about. And I hope I put it on the screen overhead. Number one, Joseph had much to be bitter about because his brothers treated him with cruelty and absolute evil intention. I mean, they planned this thing. They sold him into slavery. They originally were going to murder him, as you'll recall, but they decided they'd get some money out of the deal. And so they sell him into slavery and uh, never to be seen again. And he, off he goes to Egypt in order to live the rest of his life. Now, how many of you know just that event of your brothers ganging up on you, wanting to kill you, but then stopping in the middle of that atrocity and said, well, instead of killing you, we'll just send you into slavery. How many of you know that could traumatize you? That's probably worse than poor toilet training. Would you not agree? Dysfunctional. That, that could mess somebody up for a lifetime. And then he goes and he's sold into Potiphar's house and he becomes, as you know, a servant to Potiphar. God raises him up, gives him favor. He begins to exercise leadership in the house of Potiphar. But here is Potiphar's wife and she's a wily woman and she wants Joseph for herself and she's enticing him and, and beckoning him and doing everything she can to get Joseph into bed with her. And she's just doing everything she knows to do until finally... She makes an overt effort. He's trying to run. He's trying to get out of that. And, and can you imagine, throw up number two. He was falsely accused while trying to maintain his integrity. Would that not be scarring? I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to maintain my character and my integrity. And, and even as I'm trying to do it, I still get hit. And so then he's put into prison. And there he is in prison and he begins to interact with people and he finds some favor there and God uses him in the prison. And all of a sudden he speaks to a butler and a baker and he shares with them some aspects of what God's going to do in their future and it comes to pass. The baker is the one who is the one that gets released and as the baker gets released and remember it's Joseph the one, is the one that interpreted the dream. Joseph is the one that prophesies over him. Joseph is the one that encourages him. Joseph just looks at his buddy and he says, hey, when you get out, just don't forget me. And his friend leaves him there for another decade. Would that not traumatize you? 
And then, put up number three, he was forgotten in prison when he tried to help a friend. And if one, two, and three didn't absolutely scar you and make you twitch for the rest of your life, imagine number four, God was allowing all of this to take place. Now that'd tick you off, wouldn't it? I mean that God was doing this. God was involved in this. God was allowing it. Can I just, I, I really want to dig. I'm not, I'm not putting God on the spot. I'm just, I want to dig in your life for just a minute. Do you understand that whatever wound, offense, hurt, injustice, unfairness, tragedy, betrayal, whatever it is you have faced, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you, have, if you have loved the Lord and have tried to serve God and have yet faced these things, I'm going to tell you something right now. Number four is for you too. God allowed it to happen. Now, I don't, it may not help you to know that right now, but I'm going to let you just simmer with that for just a minute because some of us are offended with God. We'll never say it because we're, remember, clever, refined. We'll come to church and go, I love Jesus. And inside we're going, doggone it, Lord. Don't you get it? Don't you see? Don't you understand? Don't you know? And I got a revelation as I was listening to Pastor Harvey. And as I began to consider, I got a revelation. That Joseph's story was not about how a person gets to destiny. For years I preached this. Tracy will tell you, you've heard some of the messages. The story of Joseph is not about how a person gets to destiny but rather how a person learns how to forgive before he's given destiny. Right now, some of you can relate to Joseph. I mean, some of you right now have had some of the very same things that happened to Joseph. You grew up in a dysfunctional family. You had parents and family members disown you, just cast you out, throw you out, want nothing to do with you. Some of you right now have been falsely accused in areas of your life. You did nothing wrong. You tried to maintain your integrity, but the way the system works, you got snagged and, and, and you faced a repercussion off of all of that. You've trusted friends and you've counted on people that were going to come through for you and you've done so much for them. And when it came time, they have forgotten and left you hanging out to dry and it has been years and add on top of it all, God is in the mix. You're in that prison just like Joseph was in prison, only your prison isn't bars and in a cave. Your prison right now is your emotions. Your prison right now is your circumstance. Your prison is where you are at in, in life right now and you can't get out and you want out so bad. And this is the thing you've got to remember. God wasn't going to let Joseph rule with bitterness and woundedness in his heart. Joseph's delay to his destiny was actually God's plan for his wholeness and his healing. Now you got to understand right now, right now God has you right where you are right now. You better get a hold of that because if you don't get a hold of that, you'll never get out of where you are. Or I should say this, you may change the circumstance or the geography or you may change what the name of the company is you work for or the relationship you're in, you may change all kinds of things externally, but all you'll do is move from one cell to the next cell and to the next cell. And you're just changing cells. God's saying, get this, I'm doing something in this prison of yours that if you'll allow me to do it, I'll not only allow you to, to break forth in wholeness, 
but I'll give you a destiny. Yes, he will. Okay, write fast. Are you writing fast? There's a lot of stuff I got to go through. What does Joseph teach us about forgiveness? In Genesis 45, golly, I got to read some of this. Okay, bear with me. If, if, if I know I talk long, I'm sorry. For those of you that are guests, I just, I just, I'm a long talker. Listen to me really quick, though. Genesis 45, this is after the, all, the whole story of Joseph takes place. He's finally number two in all of Egypt, and suddenly his brothers show up because there's a famine in the land. He's got the answer. God's opened up everything to him. There's nobody greater than Pharaoh, but Joseph's number two. And listen to what happens when his brothers show up. It says that Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, this dude is wailing. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now he gives directions as to bringing his dad back. So drop to verse 21, please. And then it says this, then, then the sons of Israel did as Joseph had commanded, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Is that not amazing? Now I'm going to give you, I, I got to run through this fast. I know you're going to write fast, right? You're going to have to put it on your refrigerator, get it on your mirror. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you can't apply it today before next week comes, I, I'd be willing if I were a betting man to say you're going to have to apply some of these things. Number one. What does Joseph teach us about forgiveness? You must choose to forgive your transgressors. You can't be forced to do it. I can't force you. God can't even force you to forgive. You must choose to forgive. And can I just say this? That kissing revenge goodbye is painful. For you to kiss revenge goodbye is a hard thing to do because if you do that you'll say to yourself they're getting away with something you don't understand they're going to get away with it kiss revenge goodbye choose choose to forgive that's exactly what joseph did he had the opportunity did he not to exercise revenge i mean number two in all of egypt and his brothers are there it's like bringing the canary to the cat but he chose to forgive number two 
no longer keep a record of wrong. I was thinking about this. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs done. And I started thinking in my mind, why do we keep a record? And, and then it dawned on me why we keep a record. It's so we can use it sometime. You see, if we let go of that file, then we may not get to use it. And see, that's exactly what God wants you to do is to let go of that file. Because the only reason you keep the file is because you believe that someday you're going to exact revenge. You keep the file because someday you believe you're going to use it for the battle. You're going to use it for punishment. You're going to use it to to state your case. You are going to use it in order to make sure everything comes out like you think it ought to come out. And God says, let it go because that file is not your defender. I am your defender, says the Lord. And that's why he says, you don't keep that record. So you have to erase the file. You know, on our computers, it's interesting. You can, you can erase a file, but what it does is it sends it where? To the recycle bin. And I, I find it interesting that what we do is, everyone says, amen, that's right. But we just send it to the recycle bin. Because when it gets to the recycle bin, if you want to restore that file, you can push the button. Isn't that true? Those of you that run computers, you know I'm talking truth now. I tell you what God's saying. He says, get it to the recycle bin, and then once you get it to the recycle bin, you push the delete, and the box will come up, and it will say, are you sure you want to permanently delete this file? Yes! Some of you are going, I don't know. I may need it someday. You never know when I'll need that. Push the button. Number three. Refusing to get even. You know, Joseph had every opportunity to not just get even, to win. And getting even may work in the movies. I understand that you get Sylvester Stallone or Steven Seagal or you get Clint Eastwood and some of those old movies. And I mean, it makes for a great movie. There's some unfairness or injustice and the guy with the big gun goes out and makes it right. Charles Bronson had a whole series of movies which he went out and made it right. He found the bad guys and he was blowing them away, left and right. It may work well in the movies, but it doesn't work well in life. It won't fix what you feel. You could blow the person away and maybe for a split instant you get momentary relief, but it will come back because it wasn't resolved in the heart. It was resolved by the hand. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let the Lord take care of it. He will repay in the appropriate way. Number four. Wow. Not letting anyone know what they did. Isn't it interesting? Joseph cleared the room. He got everybody out of the room. Just cleared it. Before he looked at his brothers and he confronted all that. You know what? I started thinking about that because we're to forgive others like God forgives us. Aren't you really glad that God doesn't air all our dirty laundry? Oh, folks, I'm telling you, some of you all have a screenplay that we would love to sit down and watch. I mean, we would sit there and go, whoa, dude. But aren't you glad that there ain't no divine screenplay? And that God just doesn't just... Throw it all out there. Joseph cleared the room. No one needed to know what they did. I'm just asking myself these questions as I'm going through this. Why would that be? Why, why, would, why would Joseph have cleared the room? Here's the reason I wrote down. 
that everyone else in the room would have picked up an offense for Joseph because he was the top dog. My greatest mistake probably I've made is anytime I have mentioned all the unfairnesses or injustices, even though I may have been well-intentioned in sharing those particular incidents with you through the years. And maybe they were helpful and maybe I had a great motive and I, I don't know. But I'll tell you what God has spoken to me about. He says, you're going to need to think about how you share injustices, unfairnesses, wounds, betrayals. You're going to have to think about that. Because there is a possibility that people can pick up your offense. And that's why it just doesn't, it doesn't need to be known. It doesn't need to be known. Our talking really is a form of punishing them. Amen. Number five. Not allowing the offender to fear you. Not allowing the offender to fear you. You know, the Bible says that perfect love or agape love drives out all fear. You cannot say that you love someone and then want them to fear you. You cannot say that you love the brethren. And we say this all the time. Oh, yeah, I love them. I love them. I love them. And then because you've got information, you've got knowledge or whatever it is you've got that they would fear you. You can't allow them to fear you. You have to do much like Joseph and a and allow them the opportunity to know that, that all the information you've got is safe. Number six, let them forgive themselves. Most of us here understand that we're to forgive people. However, we want those people to feel bad about what they did. And so what we do at times is we punish people by making them feel guilty. Anybody here ever been made to feel guilty? I mean, if, you, if you're in a family tree, I've been made to feel guilty at times. Feel guilty because I didn't show up at this, or I didn't do that, or I should have done this. Guilty. Guilt trips. How about you? Have you put people on guilt trips? You know, guilt is a, is a powerful thing because if you function in guilt, you're not functioning where God is. As a pastor, I'll just be honest, I'm not going to tell a bunch of stories, but I've had people try to make me feel guilty because everybody knows what a pastor should or should not do, and when it doesn't get done and offense is made, I may even apologize for the particular offense, but I'm made to feel guilty. It probably works the other way around. All I'm simply saying is, is that there comes a moment, if you're going to really forgive somebody, you've got to let them forgive themselves. You can't let them keep beating themselves up over it. That's what Joseph said here. Joseph said, whoa, whoa, guys, don't be upset. Don't be fearful. You need to understand, you didn't put me here. God put me here. You be free. Be free. Number seven, let them save face. Let them save face. Not only refusing to let the person feel guilty, but find a way for them to look good. Are you kidding? No. No, I'm not kidding. Because when he said, understand, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh. You need to understand that what he was looking at them saying was this. He was saying, you were doing the will of God. Are you with me? I'm going to let you save face. What you perpetrated, I mean, Joseph could have said this. He said it was wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. You were wrong, 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 wrong. But praise God, he turned it around for good. Hallelujah. 
Praise be to Jesus. You, you got to get this. You got to get this. He said, you need to understand, you didn't do anything wrong. It was the will of God. Man, I want to tell you, there was something at that moment that really began to set me free. It, it really has helped me and set me free. And, and, and again, I'm going to navigate this as carefully as I can. But can I just tell you this? There have been, there have been moments, and I guess I'm just going to go ahead and just say it. I mean, from the, from the time I was 20, 21 years old, I've had... I've had people come to me and I've tried to deflect it. I've tried to do my best to deflect praise and to deflect affirmation. And I've done that all my life to try to do that. But people would come and say, God's got big things for you. He's got a great destiny for you. He's got this and he's got that. And I'd do my best to deflect it. But there was always that little thing inside, and I guess it's in every human being, that, that likes to be affirmed. And it, it likes to hear that there's a great day ahead. And you like those things too. And, and, and I can just tell you that Five years ago when all the stuff that happened with me happened and, and we've been at this mall and let me tell you something about I, I don't despise the place, I enjoy everything that we have, but I didn't envision myself in a mall five years ago. And there have been moments as that's worked through me and you work through whatever unfairness or injustice or whatever it is that works inside of you. You, you come to that moment when you realize that it's not anybody's fault. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's, if anyone's fault, it's God's fault. I am here because God put me here. And if I love God, then I ought to be okay with that. Are you with me? If you love the Lord and say, I'll follow you anywhere. I mean, it's funny how we'll say, well, I'll, I'll go anywhere with you, Lord. Wherever you send me, I'm an obedient man. I will go anywhere you send me. And then he really does that, and we find ourselves someplace that he put us, and we go, what's the big deal? Number eight, have a gracious spirit. A gracious spirit. When you forgive someone, you need a gracious spirit. Now, I want you to know that is hard for those of us who do not tolerate fools easily. It's hard. You know, when Jesus had the adulteress thrown in front of him, everybody wanted to throw the book at her. But yet he was gracious. And, and let me just say this. Gracious is not letting her get away with her sin. Gracious was saying, woman, where are all the rest of your accusers? Well, then I guess I'm not going to sit and accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He was gracious. Gracious really is the opposite of judgmental. You know, sin does have its own judgment. And there is a sense of evaluation. I'm not suggesting that evaluation isn't a part of a Christian's life or it's not a part of discerning what's in front of you. But we need to be gracious. What, the best illustration I thought of, have you, have, have you ever gone to an athletic event, maybe a football, basketball game, and the team that is winning is running up the score? Now, there are some teams that when they win, they're still losers. I, I, mean, I mean, I've watched teams, I can remember being in Owen Stadium in Norman, Oklahoma, watching in 1976 the national championship Oklahoma Sooners team play Kansas State or somebody, and they were ahead 72 to nothing. I mean, I remember, I'll never forget this, that I was sitting there and, and, and just cheering. It wasn't even fun to cheer anymore. And my dad, I remember at the time, he looked at me and he, as, as, as the Sooners were killing Kansas State, my dad looked at me and he goes, 
Because what had happened was is that they put their, like their fourth team offense in, Oklahoma did, and they were still running down the field ready to score. And I guess Switzer had, at that time, had told the guy just to fall on the ball, do not score again. So he fell on the ball and didn't score, and the clock ran out, and everybody in the stadium started booing. And Dad looked at me, I'll never forget, he said, I, I, I think now I know how the Christians must have felt in the Coliseum. Because there are some people who win, and yet they're losers. But there are some people who win, and they can be gracious in it. They know they're right, and they can be gracious. They have the truth, and they can be gracious. You know, some of us, we want to be right and make sure that we pound the other person into oblivion, dust, never to rise again. That is not a gracious spirit. And when you forgive somebody, you need to be gracious. Number nine, and these last two, just buckle up right now. These two are going to be the ones that are going to, everybody's going to gulp and say, oh, dear God. Number nine, pray for them to be blessed. How do you know? How do you know if it's gotten in your heart? That's what we're asking. Let me, let me just read you. I'm just going to read the Bible. The Bible will nail you more than I will. Romans 12, 14. Listen to what it says. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. And finally, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Is it hurting yet? <laughs> oh, the amens slow down, don't they? Luke six twenty seven. But I say... To you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. You say, well, pastor, all right, that's what it says. And see, you got to understand what we do. This is what we do. We get offended and, and we hear this stuff. And we say, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But this is what we do. We, we go and we go before God and we say this. God, deal with them. Deal with them, God. I'm not going to do anything, Lord. But you implement your righteous ways on their life. I take my hands off. You put your hands on, I know you'll do it well. Does that sound familiar? That, that is not, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. You gotta, you gotta pray. God bless them. Just bless them. Just bless them. Just bless them. And thank you, Lord, when they're blessed, I'll rejoice. You don't think that isn't hard? Man, that's hard. 
just about done. I, I, this is the last nail in the hand right here, all right? Number 10, let them off the hook. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. This has happened to me through the years. People will get a revelation of needing to forgive somebody, and then they'll walk up to them. I've had this happen more times than I can count. Pastor, I forgive you. I want you to know I've released you. I forgive you. I've released you into the hands of God. And so naturally, what does the person do? They go, well, what did I do? I don't know what I did. No, I can't talk about it. I cannot talk about it. Just know you're forgiven. You're released, and I love you. Be blessed in Jesus' name. You know what you just did? You found a religious way to punish somebody. Because they're going to walk around going, what? they're going to spend the next week going, what did I do? And that's exactly what you wanted. It's what I wanted. You want them to spend, what did I do? What did I do? In fact, it'd really be good that after you had that moment, they call you again. And make sure that they really knew what they did. But that, see, when you forgive somebody, you let them off the hook. I mean, how many of you would like the Holy Ghost coming to you all the time? And you hear the voice of God saying your name. I forgive you. Barely. I may bless you. I may not. I mean, I mean God doesn't deal with us that way, does he? He, he absolutely, unequivocally forgives. As far as the east is from the west. So... Are his sins, your sins, been separated from him? Forgive them. Let, let, them, let them off the hook. It doesn't do anything good. I, you know, because we'll quote, you know, leave your gift at the altar and make it right. You know what the leave the gift at your altar and make it right is? Leave the gift at the altar and make it right is when you've done something wrong and God reveals it to you and you need to go make it right and say, I was wrong. You, we're not talking about you leaving the gift at the altar so you can say, I forgive you. Go read that verse again. You release them. You release them and let them off the hook. And let me just say this. If, if you can go through that in a genuine way, I can assure you that forgiveness has started to reach your heart. And if it can reach your heart like it did to Joseph, listen to me, God will open up destiny for you. He'll open up doors for you. He'll spring you out of your prison. You're, you're so worried. Some of you guys are so worried about a promotion or a job or the sale or the deal or your, your next season or what it is and some change. And I'm not saying that we're not all wired that way and want that, but could you stop and call time out for just a minute and maybe say to yourself, Lord, maybe there's something more in me you're trying to do. So when that prison door opens and, and Joseph walked out, he didn't have this bitterness that he could just disseminate over all of Egypt. But instead, he had, a, he had a spirit of forgiveness that swept the land. 
And God blessed that nation and blessed him. You know, it was Gandhi and he was not even a Christian. In fact, Gandhi was the one who said that he would have been one if he could have found one. But it was Gandhi who said, I'm just going to quote him. He said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. I thought about Nelson Mandela, who had been imprisoned in South Africa under the unjust system of apartheid. Can you imagine spending almost three decades in a prison for no other reason besides your skin color? And what you would have been like once you were released. And he was asked the question about how he dealt with all of these sorts of things and was asked, how do you not be bitter? And this is what Mandela said. He said, bitterness only hurts oneself. If you hate, you will give them your heart and your mind, and I do not intend to give those two things away. And I'm just here to tell you, as a Christian, we really have no choice in the matter because I've come to the conclusion that we forfeit our destiny if we refuse to come to terms with forgiveness in the heart. I'm here to tell you, some of you will never break free from your current situation. Some of you will never change your life. Some of you will never see any difference take place. I'm telling you, if you'll just listen to me for a minute, I'm not trying to hold you back. I want you in your dream. I'm rooting for you to go forward and have a wonderful future. I, I would want that for you, and God wants that for you. But I'm here to tell you that the prison door is shut and the keys are locked, and you stew in the prison of your circumstances or of your relationships or whatever it is that God has you in at this particular moment, you stew in it because you think by holding on to your bitterness, your unfairness, and your injustice that somehow, some way, that once God opens the door and you're vindicated that way, that it will suddenly evaporate, and I'm here to tell you, it will not. It must evaporate now before a door is ever opened, before a future is ever walked into, it must stop now. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Guys, go ahead and cut the quiet times. I'm going to let Clay play here. Just cut that out, please. Thank you. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that the grace that you dispense towards us to forgive, to restore, to help, to cleanse, to cause us to have relationship with you. Lord, that grace that that came through Christ Jesus when he looked at all those that were gathered around the cross. And, And truth of the matter is, Lord... None of us were there 2,000 years ago, but in the same token, we all were there. We were in that crowd before we ever knew that we were doing something wrong. We, we put you on the cross too, and our sins nailed you there. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't those Romans' fault. It wasn't the Jewish leaders' fault. It wasn't the culture's fault or the system and all the rest of the first century. Lord, it was our fault. And yet there you were, looking. And you've been looking at us for years, some of us, and we never, never stopped to consider 
that when we weren't all that sorry, when we weren't all that caring, when we didn't think that much about you, you still looked at us and said, Father, forgive him. Forgive her. They don't know what they're doing. I can't even imagine. But Lord, you're calling us not only to imagine it, but to embrace it and to walk in it. And Lord, I know today that there are people in this congregation, I know there are, they're, they're, they're in circumstances that they, they don't like and there are places that are difficult and they face injustices and unfairnesses and betrayals and misunderstandings and some of it, as we've learned, was unintentional, but some of it was planned. And Lord, all of it just comes and it causes us just to be filled with this junk and, and Lord, I just believe that you're wanting to take some moments like you did with Joseph while we're stuck in the prison and cause it to be an altar that we can begin to say, Lord, take it from my head and help me get it in my heart. Help me, Lord, to release people. They just, they just have 20 bucks of offense. It's just $20 of offense and I had millions racked up with you. Lord, let me let the $20 things go. The things that really don't seem so big when I kind of put it all in the light of who, what you did and my future. And Help me, help me, help me. Help me right now. Right now, I want you to choose. Right where you're standing, I want you to choose to forgive. You got to make the choice right now. If there's anything right now that's struggling in you, you just got to say, stop, stop the struggle. Stop it. I choose, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you. If, if you really want to break through, and, and again, let me just tell you that we walk in this. It's not, it's not a one-time event, but we've got to walk in this. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer that, I think will help assist you if, if, if you want to lift some things up. You won't be put on the spot. I don't want to know your business. You, in fact, I already said no one needs to know your business. But if you need to release some things, I think we put crosses down front because I think in the light of the cross, I think everything should be able to be forgiven and released. And if you want some help right now, because let me tell you something, I, I think you do. Some of you have faced it for years, decades, some issues that need to just be let go and released. And I want you right now, if that's you, you may, you may have a handle on all this, and that's wonderful, and I bless you, and glad that, you, that you've done that. Some people have a natural capacity to just let it go and forgive. But there are others, a great majority, that just do not do that easily. I think... For most of us, that is our human condition. But I'm going to pray that prayer. If that's you right now, I want you to join me and just say, yeah, you're right. It's time I just, I got it under the light and, and I'm going to lead you in that prayer of forgiveness right now. If that's you right now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and I'm going to help you and we're going to pray and just release. Release them, release it. Release it. Thank you, Lord. 
Okay, bear with me. And I want congregation, I want you to pray this with me. So I want everybody's voice involved in this. And we're going to take just a moment, so bear with me. But I want you to repeat after me, and I want you to bring your sincerity, just as you were sincere to come forward, I want you to bring your sincerity to this moment. And I want everyone to repeat after me by saying, Dear Jesus, by an act of my will, I'm making the decision, I'm making the choice to forgive my transgressor, my offender. I lift them up to you and I declare by my voice that they're forgiven. I release them in the name of Jesus. I refuse from this point forward to keep a record of wrongs. I send the offense to the recycle bin. I push the delete button and I declare, yes, I'm sure, it's gone. I refuse to get even in the name of Jesus. I make the choice from this point forward to not let anyone know what they did. I will not punish them by my words. I will not allow them in any way to fear me. I release them from their obligation and their guilt towards me. Let them seek forgiveness cleanly from you. I let them, in the name of Jesus, to save face. They didn't do this to me. God, your hand was in it to work in me somehow, to grow me up, to mature me, to fashion me. I am where I am in the economy of God for your purposes. Nobody got me here. You got me here. And I trust you, God, with all my being. Give me a gracious spirit. Help me not to gloat in my victories. Help me not to gloat in my triumphs. But let me be gracious like my Lord. And I pray sincerely that a blessing would be released. Would you bless their homes, their lives, their businesses? Would you bless them with good things? I mean that, Lord. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. Bless them, I pray. And from this moment forward, they're off the hook. I let them go. I choose to let them go. And I believe, oh God, in graciousness and sincerity, I'm better off and they're better off in your hands. 
Thank you, Lord, that forgiveness is total and complete. It's coming from my heart, not just my head, but out of my heart, they're forgiven. I'm choosing to let it go in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say thanks to the Lord for helping you do that right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's the deal. Again, this is just the start. We're just, we're just going to get whole. If you don't get the forgiveness issue down early in, in getting whole, nothing else works. Bitterness is that, is that pole inside of a person that the enemy can lock his fingers into and, and, and you can have somebody cast out lusts and perversions. You can have somebody cast out other garbage of addictions and bondages and, and it won't ever go because the enemy, he's got his fingers in your bitterness. But you, you yank out that bitterness, you yank out that pole when you forgive and the enemy's got nothing anymore that he can hold on to in your life. And I believe right now some of you that have sought help in different areas of your life, I'm telling you that this will be a key to your total and complete freedom. I believe that, and you've got to believe that. You say, well, pastor, what happens if later today or tomorrow it comes up again? Then just say, I forgive. I'm choosing to forgive. Lord, bless them. Bless them. Bless them abundantly. If the enemy wants to replay that or bring that to your mind, just, just say, God, bless them. Just keep blessing them, and he'll say, I don't want that. And you'll find that those pictures will begin to evaporate. And they won't be there anymore. Amen? Come on now, let's, let's walk in that. Let's get that spirit in us. That God can begin to open your dreams up to each and every one of you. Lord, bless your people right now, I pray. Lord, they've, they've made such progress. You're helping them so much. Lord, let this be a step. Let this be another level that they can stand on. Lord, I pray you would establish them in this place right now where they are with you. Don't let them go back. Don't let them fall back into old bitternesses. But Lord, let them be established at this place that they might go forward into your future for them. Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray this week that you'd keep them, protect them. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would give us a season of grace, Lord, that we could get this thing complete and finished, that we might truly, truly, truly be whole in body, soul, and spirit. Lord, I thank you that it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. I know, I know you feel, you can feel the waging in the spirit. The enemy doesn't want you going, as long as he can keep you happy, give you the happy clappies every now and then, and just let you think you get a smile every now and then, He's okay with that, but he's not happy when you're pressed.